amazing. So we've been on a series of, of uh, holy and whole, and it's, it's really just following this journey of allowing God to come and do a work in our lives and in our hearts to, to, to continue to grow us, to become more and more like him, uh, taking into account everywhere where we do naturally fall short. Mr. Mark, and thankfully there is grace in each step of the way. Isn't that good? He's happy for grace? Good. Um, and so today I, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of generational blessings and curses. And, and it's a phrase that we can hear a lot, but actually maybe we don't have a full understanding of, or something that we've heard different understandings of. And actually I think it'd be really good for us today to do a bit of exploration into that. Uh, so who's up for a bit of exploration? Great. Everyone else, unfortunately, you're just going to have to sit through it. So um, <laughs> that's the plan. But then to really focus on the great generational blessing we all receive. But I won't give it away just yet. Um, so let me read to you from Ephesians. I love this. Blessed. Okay, this is for you to receive. Okay, I just want you to take a second. This is for me to receive, not just to hear, but to receive in my heart. Are we ready? Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, say I've been blessed in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Why don't you say, I'm holy and blameless before God. Our Father, as we come to your word today, I really pray that above everything else, we would know what it is to be blessed in Christ, hidden in him, holy and blameless in him, but that in him we receive every spiritual blessing. And we do this morning as we've come before you and sought your face, God. I pray that we would know the blessing that comes when we do that. And I pray for every single person here this morning who feels any measure of lack, Lord, no matter how real that situation may be, I pray the reality of your blessing in them would trump the challenges of any situation external to them. So come, Holy Spirit, and and bear witness to our hearts. Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's do it. Let's go for our reading for today. Bless these guys. This computer's playing up. But um, it will get there soon. Why didn't I read our reading from today? It's in Exodus 20. If you want to grab a Bible, there should be some in the pews. You can follow me. Um, Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. It's only two verses, so we will get there. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven, heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I'll get that up on the screen in a little bit. But today we're taking time to consider generational blessings and curses. And And this is the idea that we receive from our ancestors a mixture of either of these, which are subsequently passed down from generation to generation. A funny one for me is um, 
when my, when my dad uh, concentrates, he sticks his tongue out. Does anyone say, yeah? He sticks his tongue out. And it's really funny because I obviously noticed that in myself. And I was like, well, where did I get that from? And then I watch Oak do something and he starts to concentrate and the, the tongue comes out and I'm like, yep, that's my boy. <laughs> There's another one. What else? My dad's always sat cross-legged. I don't know why. Uh, and me and Oak do it. And I see Oak sometimes sitting on the sofa with his tablet, with his legs crossed, with his tablet on his legs. And it always makes me laugh because I'm like, that's just such a learnt behavior. I've never taught him to yet. He just does it because he's my son. And you see these kind of patterns we see coming down from generation to generation. I'm so sure you can all think of some now. And some of them are going to be just funny habits and traits. Some of them are going to be really good things we've learned from our parents. Um, and some of them are probably going to be bad things that we've learned from our parents, yeah? Bit of a mixture. If your mum or dad's in the room, say no. Just, uh, <laughs> um, so there are a lot of different views on this, uh, kind of within church, within theology. Uh, and with respect to all these views, I want to kind of put before us what I see in Scripture today for us to kind of grapple with, for us to explore a bit uh, and talk through more. Um, and in the, in the Christian context, the idea of generational blessings and curses really starts with these verses I've read from Exodus 20, uh, um, which is the Ten Commandments, and this idea uh, of God's, uh, I'll read it again, God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So I've got four questions. I want you to take a minute, speak to your neighbor. It's all contained in there. First question, what does visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children mean? What do we think that means? Okay. Second question, who or what does the visiting of iniquity? The answer's in there. Who receives the visiting of the iniquity? And finally, who receives the steadfast love? And fifth question is, oh, how's your week, if you don't want to answer any of those? And I'll just pick on people who do. But why don't you take a second, talk to your friends. We're going to do some theology together. Let's pull apart this passage. What is it actually saying? What is it saying? What does the visited iniquity, who causes the action here? Okay, friends, let's gather back in. Okay, who's going to be brave enough? What does visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children mean? What do we think that means? Anyone want to volunteer? This is the hardest question, so 10 points to whoever wants to give it a go. I'm not going to... Punishing. Punishing. Yeah? Any other ideas? Different. Yeah, 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 that's good. Any other thoughts? Otherwise, we'll stick with those two because they were great. Yeah, so it's, it's a really good process to ask. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children. Um, so, visiting iniquity means to, to, to experience the effects of sin. So if my father commits a heinous crime, then naturally, despite my own innocence, I'm going to experience the effects, even if it's just kind of, you know, in my social circles, there's an effect on me because of what my father did. But there's always an effect. And so this idea of, of consequence is something that the Bible talks really strongly about. Um, and often consequence of 
God's judgment, i.e. failing to meet the mark that God set, falling into sin, brings a consequence. And so when we talk about visiting iniquity, what we're not talking about is um, something being put on people that wasn't already there, but rather there's a consequence of the father's sin that goes down from generation to generation. Does that make sense? Great. Next question. Who or what does the visiting of iniquity? Who does this? Who visits the iniquity? This is the easy one. God, exactly. It's not a malevolent spirit. It's not a dark curse. It's not a demon. It's God himself who visits the iniquity, who allows wicked to experience the consequences of their sin. So my third question, who receives the visiting of iniquity? Someone put their hand up for me. So sorry. Go on, Ian. You go for it. Or were you not going to answer? I'm so sorry to put you on the Yeah, go for it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good weapon at repaying the sense, yeah. We could indeed I have used an anglicized version, but yeah, we could indeed I'll, I'll take that on board. Who receives the repayment of how did you put it again? The children. And in particular the children of those who hate me, right? And finally, who receives the steadfast love? Those who love me and keep my commandments, all right. So God gives love to those who love him and visits iniquity on those who hate him and the descendants of those who hate him. So let me ask a big question. Who in this room hates God? Who in this room loves God? So, are you receiving the visiting of iniquity or are you receiving steadfast love? I honestly believe scripture is quite clear in this matter. That if you're justified by Christ, if you love and obey him, you are not subject to a generational curse. You know, I've, I, I've got a list of verses in my notes that I'm going to send out, but I just want to run through a few of these and show you how scripture develops this idea. So in Deuteronomy 24, which is my next slide, God says this, um, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for their own sin. And it's a clear indication here that each of us are judged individually by God, not for our ancestors' sin. In Ezekiel 20, it says this, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The, righteous of the, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So then there's another clear instance here. But note, this isn't just about life and death, but about righteousness and wickedness. I.e., if you're righteous, that's for yourself to receive. You don't receive the wickedness of your ancestor. Let's go into Jesus in John 9. Um, so this is a story. Uh, he passed by. Uh, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? I don't know how he could have sinned and been born blind as a result, because that doesn't seem to make sense to me. But certainly, the belief in, in ancient culture is that sickness, and particularly congenital sickness, was a result of your ancestor's sin. Does that make sense? 
And Jesus makes a point about addressing this, this mentality and refuting it. Uh, it's not that this man sinned, nor his parents. It's so the work of God will be displayed in him. And this final passage in uh, Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the, uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its illegal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This says we are completely forgiven. All record of debt and its legal precedent is satisfied by Jesus' blood. And specifically, any spiritual power or demon that plagued us was disarmed and triumphed over by Jesus. Isn't that good news? You see, there's, there's no curse of man or, or demonic spirit powerful enough to circumvent the cross of Christ. Does that make sense? Anything that you got up to in your past, anything that was holding on to you in your past, anything that plagued you, maybe even as a child, when it meets the cross of Christ, it cannot continue. No spiritual thing can continue because you are a new creation. Jesus cried out, it is finished, it's done. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Isn't that great news? Yeah? So how is it, you may ask, that I still do that thing my mum used to do, or my dad used to do? How is it that I respond with the same anger I saw in my mum, or that I carry the same fears that I saw in my dad, or maybe even that I feel oppressed in the same way that my brother feels oppressed? Yeah, upbringing. Well done, man. Good answer. That's exactly it. There is a connection and, and, and I, I want to understand that a bit more. So remember last week, we had the steps of salvation, which I talked about. Here you go. I'm sorry it's a bit pixelated, but I got a thing this time so you can see it happening. <laughs> so we still have our big words, justification. So that's um, this spiritual act whereby God pronounces a sinner to be righteous he becomes a new creation in Christ. Then there's sanctification, which is this process we're all in, whether we like it or not, where God is slowly shaping us and transforming us by the power of his spirit to no longer look like our old self, but to look wholly like him. Ready for the point of glorification, where God finally removes every presence of sin from us. Uh, and in that, uh, our, our life is transformed to stand before him in glory. So justification renews our spirit to become the new man. Sanctification renews our minds and our souls, all those habits, the ways we think. And glorify, And that's why that bit takes a lot of time, I think, because our minds do that. But glorification then renews our body. Praise the Lord for glorification. Um, so let me show you how this plays out in a scenario. Um, so if my ancestor has a, a demonic spirit of anger, let's say, which they welcomed into our family line, whose iniquity is then visited from generation to generation. So their son was angry, and their son was angry, and their son was angry, okay? We see these patterns. What happens to this demonic spirit that I may have received when my old self is crucified and I'm spiritually born again? The answer is that it has no place. It cannot come through the cross. 
Romans 6 says this, we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. However, and this is really important, what happens to the mindset that I've learned from my ancestors? What happens to the mindset that I learned from my dad or whatever? My dad wasn't. I'm just going to clarify that, but for the sake of this. What happens to the mindset that I've learned and picked up? What's the best way to deal when something feels out of control? Do I get angry to try and control it? Is that automatically gone when we become a Christian? No, a few people shaking their heads. Not in my experience anyway. There was a lot of rubbish from when I was younger before Christ that actually I've had to deal with as a Christian. Does that make sense to people? Yeah? Whoever got holy and instantly made perfect, I want to know about that. Uh, um, I remember growing up, um, we had a really big and loud family. There's, there was, I had four siblings, my parents, we had dogs, cats, everything. Uh, it was really loud. Um, and, it, and I found it quite hard to be heard. And as a result, to this day, I can sometimes find it tricky when I feel like I'm not heard. Okay? And for me, it's not about people agreeing with me. It's not about people doing what I say or anything like that. I just want to feel like I'm heard. And I think all of that stems from just being in a big house with lots of people. And there's no, I don't carry any kind of hurt about it. But I recognize I still have a mindset which is like, oh, I want to be heard. And the thing is, the Bible teaches us that these mindsets we have can so easily cause us to step into sin, even if they seem harmless. And actually, they've got to be renewed. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world. We talked about this last week, but be renewed. Be transformed, sorry, through the renewal of your mind. We've got to allow our mindsets to change if we don't want to continue doing the, the sins that we see in our family lives. Does that make sense? Why don't you take a second? Just, just close your eyes with me. And just say, God, is there, is there a pattern I see? Maybe it came from my parents, maybe my grandparents. Is there a pattern I see in my life that I still haven't got free from? An ungodly pattern. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear of provision. Maybe it's uh, an unhealthy need to always be first in something. So we have this mindset that's got to be renewed. But also we, we have habits that we build because of our mindsets that become second nature. Does that make sense? When we allow our mindset to take root in us, it produces habits, and these are almost unconscious acts that, that lead us to sin or to righteousness. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're a sports person, you train and 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 you train. So what you do is so natural, you don't have to take time to think about it, does that? So you know what you're going to do, you don't have to think about it, your reaction time is so quick, and therefore you are the best sportsman. That's how it works. I played table tennis with James' son, William. Um, it was embarrassing many times. Because he trains so hard, he knows like this. He's not thinking, oh, I'm going to hit it like this. It's just so natural because he trains. He knows what he's going to do. In the same way, our bodies can have these natural responses because of the mindsets we've allowed or we've grown up in. 
you know, we, we can have, uh, and this works both ways, we can train our minds to, to be resentful or annoyed or ungrateful as much as we can train them to be thankful. And I've noticed in seasons where I've really focused on practicing a thankful mentality in my mind, the first thing that comes out of my mouth when times are tough is, oh, thank you, Jesus, you're with me. Because I've allowed that to take root in my life. There's an unconscious kind of reaction that comes out of me, which just says, oh, thank you, Jesus, you're with me. So we have a choice here. It's not just our mindset, but there's these habits that we form. And habits can be amazing and habits can be so destructive, but they do not have control over us. They are tameable. Romans 8 says this. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It feels stuck as a habit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So by the power of the Spirit, renewing our minds, we can start to deal with the habits that we pick up on the way in life. We can start to transform them to not be habits of sin, but habits of righteousness. Living like Christ. You know, sometimes I have to really work hard to think like Christ. Does that make sense? Like sometimes I have to really work hard to be like, oh, I need to act like Jesus here and not like how I want to act. But actually, the longer we go on that journey, the more we choose him, the more natural his responses come. Is that correct? Yeah? The easier it is to bless someone who's been rude to us, rather than getting annoyed. We talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to go into the hows and how we can do that. I talked about it a lot. You can jump on last week. But what I'm trying to show you from this example is that whilst no spiritual curse of anger can come through the cross because Christ has borne all curse, okay? The mindset of if I'm angry, I'll do the silent treatment or whatever that we learn and we pick up can follow us, okay? And we have to deal with that. Just because Jesus died and forgave us of our sins doesn't mean that we suddenly think like he thinks. There's a process to that. And at the same time, the the habit of giving some of the silent treatment, even unconsciously, you're just like, oh, I'm not going to talk to them because I'm annoyed at them. Like, we can deal with that because Christ has given us the power to do it, but that still follows us, and it has to be dealt with. All of this is to say, if, if our ancestors open a door to anger and allow demonic oppression into their lives, okay, and we get saved, but then open that very same door to anger by not dealing with our hearts, by not dealing with our mindset, then we open the door to the same demonic oppression that they experienced. It didn't follow us through the cross. But if we open the same door in our lives, if we commit the same sins, if we live in the same mindsets as our parents, then we open the door for it to just come and influence us and oppress us. Not possess us, but oppress us. I've put some notes again in here, some verses which I really think support that idea. So... It's easy to compare ourselves in this place. For some people, these broken mindsets and sinful habits are so complicated due to trauma and pain in our childhood that it takes longer and often requires the help of a counsellor or prayer ministry or both to bring healing to them. And I really want to encourage you. It's really good and right to do that. 
number of times in my Christian life I've sought help because there's been habits that I haven't been able to break. Okay? Or I've gone because there's a mindset that has to be shifted. And actually, I need help to do that. And I really want to encourage you. We have Christian counselors in the church. We have prayer ministry in the church. There are so many places you can come and get help. And I really want to encourage you, come and do it. Come and be free of those things. I want to really quickly read to you from 1 Peter 1.18. It says this. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were ransomed from it. And I suppose I really just want to talk to people today, specifically who just feel like, you're stuck in some ways and you can't get free of them. You can't get past them. And maybe it's because you're like, oh, I just grew up in this. It's always been the way. I've always been fearful. I've always been angry. I've always felt insecure or anxious or whatever it is. I'm not saying there's an overnight fix. That suddenly you're going to be like, oh, everything's fine. I'm saying the mind's got to be renewed and it takes time. I'm saying habits have got to be broken and that takes discipline. But what I am saying to you is we're never too old to be free. We're never too old to pursue the freedom that Christ has won from us. And the hard thing is, the older we get, the easier it is to be like, oh, that's just me. But God wants all of us. Every bit of our hearts, every bit of our character, every bit of our history in our life for his glory. He wants all of you. He's not going to settle for less. The question is, are you willing to give him everything? You're willing to let him bring healing and wholeness to every single area of your heart. I'd like to pray for us today, and I, I just felt like as a response, we're just going to sing a song together, reminding ourselves of, the, of the, the blessing that is in Christ. So I'll invite Becca up, and I'm going to just pray for us as we finish. Hmm. Why don't we stand together? I appreciate today was quite wordy. Lots of points in there. But I think this is a really important topic we can get our heads around. When just close your eyes and just ask God that question, that question we asked him earlier, you know, is there anything unhealthy or ungodly that has just come in through from my parents or from their parents? I remember for me, um, my, my nan, um, yes, I'm actually not going to say that. <laughs> Our Father, we want to honor those who go before us. We want to thank you for them. For the very fact that they've given us life, we want to thank you for them, our, our grandparents and our parents. But God, we... We want to be free, wholly free. God, we want all of our lives to reflect you. God, whether we're 30 or 100, we want to be continually coming before you with pure hearts, God. Because the promise in Scripture is that those with pure hearts will see your face. We really know you, God, and we want to be those people. And so I pray this morning for each and every one of us. Lord, you would give us wisdom. Wisdom to confess 
the sins that have, we have lived in of, of our parents, of their parents. God, you give us the wisdom to renounce them, to say, I'm not going that way anymore. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that influence in my life. And God, I pray that we would wholly and fully cling to these words in 1 Peter, that we have been redeemed from the futile ways of our parents, of our ancestors. And instead, Lord, we would receive every blessing in Christ Jesus as in our, is our inheritance as those who love you and obey you. So I pray for freedom in this room. I pray, Lord, whether it's a journey of a year or, or this instantaneous thing today, that you will give us real freedom from the habits, from the mindsets of our past. And give us freedom in you for everything you've called us to.